Ongoingness is a pod project started by me, Jenny Morris, a fiber artist and writer living in the U.S., and Sophia Pushai, an animation filmmaker and artist living in Europe. The podcast is made with the intention of documenting transparent interviews with artists and creative entrepreneurs around the world. These talks are meant to lend an unfiltered lens into the underbelly of process and work. We're so excited to have you join us. On today's episode, we're speaking to Tarini Sethi, a fine artist based in New Delhi, India. I met Tarini at Pratt Institute a few years back. She was about two years ahead of me, and I was actually really enthralled with her work from the get-go. In this episode, we'll discuss her drawing and sculpture work, as well as her curatorial project, The Irregulars Art Fair, India's first anti-art fair. I will address, I'm really excited to have Tarini here. This episode was our first episode, so it's a little iffy on sound, so please bear with us. But since this podcast style is kind of like we're all sitting in the kitchen together around a table having a meal, um, there's, there's this element of casualness here. So we really appreciate you understanding, and we're super excited to dive in. Yes, welcome, Tarini. Tell us a little bit about your move to New York and your studies at Pratt. Okay, so um, I was in Delhi. I was doing my undergrad here. Uh, so basically what happened was that I studied art throughout my high school and middle school. And I always knew that after school, I wanted to study art. And I was also in general, just really shitty at all my other subjects, but I was fantastic at art, which is, I think a lot of artists can say. So, but when I graduated from high school, I graduated with fantastic grades and everyone was shocked including me and I just thought okay maybe I could do like a bachelor's in an actual subject I think it was just like a weird whim even though my entire life I wanted to do art and so I applied to uh, a university in Delhi which is by the way an all girls university in Delhi um not sure why I did it, but I did it. Um, and I studied political science. And every year I'd be like, okay, this year I'm going to just apply to art schools and then just bounce. And then for some reason, I was just enjoying myself so much because a lot of the universities in Delhi, especially when you really don't care about what you're doing like me, I just hated political science. No idea why I did it. You don't really go to class and they're not as strict as specifically art schools because art schools, as we know, are extremely strict. They don't care at all. You have to have a 60% attendance or a 40% attendance. I can't even remember. And if you don't, your legal guardian just has to come at the end of the year and sign saying, I promise she'll come next year. So, so every year my dad would have to go and sign saying, I promise she'll come next year. And I just... I mean you have by the third year which is the last year you have to because otherwise you won't pass so I did and I clearly just finished it I graduated with a bachelor's in political science and I finally was like okay you know what there's no other option for you you can finally just get out of India and I knew that so I applied to a bunch of places but I wanted to get as far away as possible I got into London and places like that but I had never been to the United States so I was just like let's do it so I got into Pratt I went it was amazing it was terrifying it was a complete culture shock no one understood my accent I mean when I say no one I mean I got lost all the time because I would be saying a word that they just didn't understand like a street name they didn't understand it was just really tough the first semester I remember crying I would call my ex-boyfriend every night in the bathroom and howl I failed all my subjects in the first semester what did you study at Pratt was it art so um I had I applied to be a photo major 
because I was really in love with photography. And so I applied to do that. But then I also realized that when in Pratt, when you're a photo major, you have to do a specific, uh, like a few specific subjects like film, this and that. But the there are a few limitations of the subjects you can take outside of that. Because I really wanted to do a bunch of drawing classes and printmaking classes and things like that. And I just couldn't. So after the first year, which was the foundation year, I, I changed majors to fine art and specifically to drawing. Because I also had drawn my whole life and I knew that I was really in love with it. And the good thing about the drawing major was that you could do everything. So I did. I took a bunch of photo classes. I took film classes. I took printmaking classes, painting classes, Iranian cinema classes. Like I did everything possible because somehow within the fine art section, they just had a wider possibility of classes you could take. So I think by the second semester, I really sort of got a grasp on like how hard people work because in India with the university I went to here things were so lax because our uh, the fees were so low it was like I'm not exaggerating it's like it was like one meal at an expensive restaurant was the whole year's fees so which is why I didn't care all about going I had no like guilt about just skipping classes I mean of course you know when you're going to Pratt and it's like ridiculously expensive you know that you're gonna have to go for every single class and you're gonna take as much as possible from that class you know so um it was it was tough my first year and a half I just I, I mean either way when you're in art school you're up all night you're working hard you're constantly just stressed and overworked but I didn't understand I just had not come from that kind of background where you're just like you know just go and do your thing your parents aren't going to take care of you anymore just this is you you're independent now if you if there's an issue the the universe is going to tell you that you're out not your parents there's no like fix and it stressed me out the first year because I just from coming from like a very sort of um what's the word I guess I just was very safe in this little bubble in Delhi you know and I just and I was taken care of my parents were very like you know not overbearing but they took care they were you know especially when like even in high school here in college if there's any issue they don't tell you they call your parents you know even in university here um, especially by the way in India if you're a girl like if you're a woman they always ask you even if you're driving alone at night uh, does your father know you're out that's just how India is it's awful for women especially but I just wasn't used to so many things in the states that it took a while to grasp and then finally when I did I started enjoying myself so much and these classes were fantastic and I made so many good friends like Jenny and I just learned so much from the professors because our professors, some were obviously awful and some were so fantastic that I, I remember what they taught me even now. And how would you say that Pratt um, effect that made your work change and become what it is today? How did it influence you? You know, the, the great thing about Pratt was that not only, and I don't know if it's just Pratt or like art schools out like in the States or art schools in general, uh, but the great thing was that what they did was not only teach us the basics of drawing and painting, but they also, after like the first two years, um, they would say, okay, go to, go to an exhibition and respond to that exhibition with a drawing of your own. So it made you sort of think about things outside of the box of like, okay, this has to be perfect and this should look exactly what, uh, like what I'm supposed to be drawing. They made you use your imagination so much and they pushed you so much that not only did we get used to working extremely hard, but also um, um, doing things differently from everyone else. Like we weren't, we weren't supposed to be in the same line as everyone else. We were pushed to sort of 
be different you know not only be different but also they i remember they would always say go big and go red i never understood it and i still haven't done it but they would just push us and like for example in our critiques they would they weren't you know they weren't they wouldn't say oh this is great but they would just say no this is not what you're supposed to be doing sometimes if your work was awful they'd be like i don't know why you're here and that actually as harsh it is as it is you need that when you're uh doing something like art when you could you know you can google an artist and make something exactly like it and and pass it as your own you know you have to sort of be pushed to create your own stuff you have to be pushed into like using your imagination and pushed to like constantly create even if it's like shit because the more you create the better your work gets you know do you have any of those like defining moments from um an exhibition that you went to and then made that um made a drawing from it or something that really influenced what you're doing now do you have any of those like memories or moments from the school or from new york um that you feel like oh this this actually was a stepping stone into what i'm doing today i mean i can remember a few very specifically so i had this professor in my senior year who and this is specifically like when i started figuring out my style of work and what i liked to do so she gave us an assignment where we had to choose one dead artist and one live artist live alive i don't know how to say it um and and take from their work and make our own piece and it was such an interesting project because we had like a week to do it of course we didn't have longer because that's how brat was and uh, but in that week we did so much research and we all created such interesting work and i i'm still in touch with a few people from that class and they're still making work very similar to what they started making in that class because the te- this teacher was so fantastic because she really pushed you into figuring out what you liked so it's not like we were supposed to choose any dead artist it was like a dead artist that we really admired and whose work we liked and why did we like it we had to write a whole synopsis on it and talk about what we liked and didn't like and and sort of take it from there and then i remember another one was printmaking so i had this relief printmaking teacher and he was really wild and out there and we didn't do any actual printmaking classes for the first few months but what he did was i remember we had this one session where we just had small sheets of paper he made us cut a bunch and he put on music and he just said go crazy and i'm going to keep pausing and changing the music but i want you to just take this ink and tell me how how you feel with this song and it was so amazing because we I had just never done this with art before and also the fact that this whole class is like a one hour class and this is all we're doing we're not learning theory we're not learning how to make something perfect we're not learning how to like do print making this was just what we were doing and it was so amazing i mean we all left just ex- excited about our next session you know which is for a professor hard to do when you're just leaving not exhausted but excited and then the last one and i'll be quick so that we can move on uh, i remember we went for we used to go for these like um trips to manhattan because manhattan and like fancy art shows in manhattan and um i remember we went my professor took me for this show and this was by the way not an art teacher it was my iranian cinema professor and she took me for this show at this space it was a salon it was a shop where they were selling really cool clothes and it was the gallery space and it was so cool because i was just like this is just nothing i've heard of before especially with like in india you have a gallery space that's it but this was like 
all these really cool people just interacting with each other it was amazing and also because she was indian her husband was around and she was in it and i was complete i mean our entire class was obsessed with her i just remember she was so lovely and her husband was an architect and we met him as well and she had made he had made her by hand a lead pencil i mean such love i just met such lovely people and i think that's what i got out of prat just like how art can be so different and still be art and also how interesting a different artist can be yeah i and on the topic of like this gallery experience being something very different for you or kind of expanding like your idea of the gallery space that's the perfect segue into your irregulars art fair project how did that get started so um okay so interesting enough when i came back to india i don't know if you remember but like a lot of my work has a lot of nudity in it there's a lot of like extra dicks and penises and stuff like that and so when i came back um i remember show i mean my mom is in the craft world in india she's big in the craft world and she has a lot of contacts so she i just thought okay maybe i can have a show i have so much work and so she got in touch with a bunch of curators and all of them said no we can't show this no one's going to want to buy this and put this up in their living room wall because there's just too much sex in it and it wasn't even sex it was just like all these fun people hanging out with their with their bodies you know what i'm saying there was a lot of humor to my work but it just was not understood here at all and it just really frustrated me and for a long time i just stopped making work and i didn't really know what to do through it i'm going to just curate my own shows i have no experience but i'm an artist i know what artists want and a lot of galleries when they curate they don't put the artist first they put the money first and and they put the buyer first and i've never really understood that because at the end of the day art shows wouldn't be the way they are without the artist there would be no art show you know so uh, so what i did was a friend of mine nearby she lives literally i mean her studio was uh, in the neighborhood next when i can walk there and she, they had it was like a big design studio and so i and they had two huge floors and one floor they would use just to eat lunch it was this massive empty space that they just didn't know what to do with so i got in touch with them and i was like how about we curate some art shows here quick pop up salon style where you know it's hung from floor to ceiling what uh, year is this this was 2015 so i came back i spent a year after i graduated from prat i spent a year there in new york and then i came back and uh, it was either 2015 or like early 2016 i don't remember exactly anyway so i got in touch with them and they were really excited about it because again they're in the art world they get they both created directors graphic designers and they were really nice about it they paid for everything for the hanging everything i just curated the show they would pay for all the booths for all the openings they would organize everything it was really good so we did that three times and what was crazy to me was that especially coming from outside india and so not being not going to art school here i didn't really have any artist community i didn't know any artists none of my close friends are artists um so i didn't know anybody and i also just thought you know i mean instagram i don't know if it was like that big then i can't really remember but i wasn't big on instagram i you know you didn't really just purchase work on instagram it was like you know people still went on to your website which a lot of people don't do anymore um and uh, tell me if i'm talking too fast by the way i tend to do that no i'm i'm hearing all of it okay cool so what was surprising to me was the number of submissions we got because we didn't pick the artists from people we knew we had like a open call because i wanted it to be free to anyone to apply unlike galleries where 
you have to go through this whole sort of loophole you have to be rich or know somebody or have a bunch of connections or be extremely lucky or whatever it is i wanted to be completely egalitarian in that way and be able and so anyone could apply so we had this open call and again that that doesn't happen here i mean it happens now in the last few years but it, we never had that option anywhere in india and so uh and i just thought you know maybe like 20 25 people will apply but the, for the first one i think 1500 people applied which was crazy because no one knew me at the time no one knew i think we oh we called it pond and no one knew pond no one knew them but so many people applied how did you guys market it on facebook and instagram that's it and so even facebook and instagram you know you still in that sort of circle of 60 years separation where you know when i posted jenny will see it and her friends will see it but I don't know how it got so big but it did but it also just proves that it, it was a need that you were meeting and that people really needed a more of a platform to show their work because the the fine like the fine art scene is so ex- exclusive it's so exclusive exactly and what was amazing to me was because I spoke to so many of the artists who got in and um and they 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 were they had said this was the first show we've ever been in and we've been practicing for 10 years because no one no one lets us showcase our work and if they say 10 years that means this was even before instagram where they just had websites it's a tragedy it's crazy and a lot of people they just they're all artists and their work was so fantastic but full time they do other work because they can't afford to be artists you know what i'm saying and it was just I mean most of them weren't full time artists because what is the point where do you sell your work how do you make money out of it all those different things um so it was just it was such a nice feeling one but also again kind of tragic because there's just no space like this so after that i there's this center in india i mean in delhi specifically delhi is the capital so a lot of the cultural things happen happen here um it's called india international center which is sort of um it's an arts and literature center so there are lots of shows lots of plays lots of uh, exhibitions and a lot of food so chefs from all over the country come and sometimes the world and they come and cook a huge meal and uh, you can reserve a seat and you can eat it's a very interesting experience because it's like a culture sort of just um, amalgamation of everything um and so they mostly i mean a lot of people used to call them the geriatric center because it's membership only and they only would give memberships to people above like 65 70 for some reason or like 50 less on exaggerate 50 but also they would only give i mean the nice thing about it is that you can't buy your membership you can't be like oh i'm the prime minister of india i want a membership here interestingly enough the prime minister did apply and he didn't get it uh you have to have done great things for the cultural scene in india so uh, for example that's why my mom is a member which is why i know about the indian international center um and so um so basically because of this sort of reputation of them giving only like older people membership because of course the older you get the more you've done in your life and you know what all those things they want they had started bringing younger members in and i uh, they asked me to curate uh, one of the exhibitions for their annual festivals for a younger reach so that's kind of like how i started curating for other people as well and not just because i was like not just for like pond where I, it was my idea i did it um and then i curated a few smaller shows at this space near my house just you know the thing is at the end of the day as a curator the only time you actually make money is when you sell work and that's still been a problem even now because um i don't know what it's like outside but over here unless you're a name artist 
And unless you're in that sort of space of showing your work in a well-known gallery, collectors don't want to buy your work. And there are very few collectors who buy art because it's good art as opposed to art that you can sell later or so that or art that like they can put on their walls and say, oh, I have a da, Vin- um, sing da Vinci. Uh, you know what I'm saying? Um, so, or like a Picasso. Just to say that they have a Picasso. Yeah, it's the whole notion of like the primary market and the secondary market and how there's still, I think those collectors that buy primary um, art from the primary market needs to truly love what they're buying in a sense. Because you buy, it it becomes less of an investment and more just the love of the piece. Exactly. But the question also is, how do you decide what the primary market is? You know, the primary market is made by the curators and gallerists. And most of the time for years and years, we just keep shuffling around the same artists. So like most of the galleries here in Delhi um, for years, I mean, and I go, there's like a season when most the openings happen. And I think that's, that's the same for most places in the world, I'm guessing. Um, there's a season where more openings happen and every single year in the same galleries, they have the same artists because that is their, that's the primary market. But that's the problem because the primary market doesn't change. They don't allow new people to enter the market. You know, they don't allow new artists to enter the market. Maybe like once every three years as a new artist. And even that, no idea how they found him. He had connections. She had connections, all those different things. So it's extremely hard to break that wall. Um, so anyway, so eventually I had, I found this space. It was a four story building. And I mean, because I think I knew that there were anti-art fairs all around the world. There were alternative art fairs all around the world. And because I knew that I had been curating smaller shows and, and I felt like I was at that point where I could do something bigger because a smaller show at the end of the day, to, like 2000 people apply because we have a smaller space we can only actually let 50 people show and even 50 people is when we have salon styles we've covered every part of the wall and so I wanted to figure out a way to firstly give a platform to more artists but also figure out a way to uh, kind of expand the idea of what art is and so I wanted to be more interactive I wanted there to be musicians performances everything and so uh, we did it during the art fair in India. So the art fair happens every year in Jan and it's basically people come from all over the world. It's like the same, it's like an art fair anywhere in the world. It's extremely big. They make a shit ton of money and it's the same galleries with the same artists and the same curators and the same collectors. And it's extremely, extremely hard to um, get a space there unless you have a lot of money. Again, I think like most art fairs around the world, like for example, I applied to the uh, London Art Fair recently um, and they sent me the details of how much the the space would be um, and it was like a per square foot thing and I remember per square foot it was like like a thousand dollars per square foot and that's not including a wall if you want a wall you have to pay more. I'm curious um, Tarini what it was like when you started the uh, irregulars art fair what how your expectations were met if you felt disappointed by the by the public interaction if you felt surprised and excited by it I'm kind of curious how that went you know honestly I had zero expectations when I started it because the way we began it we I don't know how we did it but completely insane but we did the whole thing in two months 
from actually setting up the whole thing to have to having all the um like opening the submissions closing the submissions and setting up the fair getting the artists in putting up the work i'm not entirely sure how we did it i also did it with my partner now and and this was like 2016 still it was 2018 So it was completely manic and crazy so I honestly didn't have any time at all to think this is going to be huge or this is this is going to be taken really badly I didn't have time you know and even like when it comes to like advertising and PR and stuff we had no money we were just spending our own money on everything right and so because of that we just did a bunch of instagram stuff and then while we were doing that a lot of newspapers and magazines started getting in touch with us saying oh this is interesting can we write an article about what's happening and so that happened a lot like pretty much every single newspaper and magazine right before the show wrote an article about it which is how it became so huge and people actually got to know what was going on and after when it actually opened we had it was what was interesting was that because it was happening at the same time as the art fair one so many people who came to india for the art fair were coming in for this because they had no idea it was different which was great for us because we're a new system altogether no one knows about us and we were kind of feeding off like the the visitors of the art fair uh, so that was one thing luckily also the space that we have the show in is two buildings down from this residency slash gallery space called coach which is one of the only one of the main residency spaces in india for art and they have they're also connected to the art fair and so every year during the art fair lots of different galleries have pop ups but the main party like the main opening lunch for all the collectors happens there and so another great thing because they were entering we were like you know what let's just all stand at the gate with our badges and so we all stood at the gate and whenever anyone would pass we'd be like enter here they had no idea what they were they were doing because they just thought it was a thing that was part of the art fair they would come in realize it wasn't but now they were inside they would really enjoy it they would buy something it was really really fantastic and um and what was also amazing was that a lot of people like when you work at the art fair or are showing at the art fair you have to have a badge so that you can en- enter in and out and stuff so there were so many people coming from the art fair to see what was going on what is this new thing because you could tell because there were thousands of people coming in every day wearing the art fair badge which was interesting because people out in that community where there were uh, that in the art world especially when we're calling ourselves the anti art fair they were still coming because they were curious you know so that was one thing and on, then on the other hand um there were so many artists who were coming up to me and the team just thanking me and it was a weird it was a weird thing because you know when you do something you're just you firstly always have imposter syndrome and think this is nothing i could have done it 10 times better and then on top of that you're just like yeah it's just like a thing i did um it's not like the end of the world but like they were coming up and saying thank you so much this has been such an amazing experience i could not i would never have shown my work if not for you and it's weird because i'm i don't like i like i give weird compliments anyway uh but it was just so nice to hear that we had given a space to these artists more than anything else you know um like of course did we spend a shit ton of money and not really make much back 100% you know because at the end of the day we're a new very small organization is probably going to take a while and on top of that we were trying to find partners but because the india art fair is such a huge force in this country the second you sort of place yourself in in the art world as the anti art fair people don't really want to associate with you especially um 
firstly younger people who are starting out their business but have money and can support you they're terrified because they think that this is not going to go our way if we do and then on top of that people who have already sort of sponsored liquor or whatever to the arts they're like that's not happening so how how did that um how did those thoughts sort of run in your head while you were doing it were you nervous did you ever question what you were doing or was it that you had so little like you guys just swept up the um art fair that you didn't have a, any time to think about it because i think like if a lot of people would have easily not even started because of the, those factors yeah i think i'm a little crazy i don't know why i did it the first honestly the first fair none of these thoughts came up i was just like oh my god i'm amazing i can't believe i did that fuck everyone who's like a hater and that was that was it you know what i'm saying but then the second issue which was probably 10 times tougher like that one was i mean the thing is also because i'm an artist my partner is a graphic designer we don't make a shit ton of money anyway number one as an artist how much money do i make it's not like i have a like a monthly salary or anything of the sort right and then on top of that you know having a team that you can hire full time you have to pay them every month so we didn't do that we didn't have a team which meant that we hired the team a week before the fair started i mean it was kind of insane i don't i just i don't i mean i even now i'm just like i don't understand why and how i did it but then i was the we were both like you know next time we have to do things differently we have to hire a bunch of people a few months in advance but again the next year we realized we still don't have the money to do it and we're not going to hire people and not pay them because we both have been interns in our life and artists are always just made to intern for free and that's bullshit So unless you're a student and you just want to learn and this is part of your CV or something or like I'm not doing it. I've done it for so many years of my life. I still do so much free stuff all the time just because I mean it's better to say yes than no to opportunities. Ugh, I can't even believe I'm saying that, but that's kind of what happens when you are an artist. So it's fine. But we just decided not to pay anyone. Second issue was extremely tough because we had the whole year to think about it firstly. and and also we realized that if we're going to be doing it we should be doing it bigger because it's second fair so we decided to do it at three locations i don't think it would like necessarily think expanding is a must it's not but we were just crazy i honestly i mean like now i want to like scale back to like a room you know i don't know why we did three locations because we started doing this thing where then we decided to have because like the first first fair what was nice was that we had a lot of interactive art it was a 3 day fair on the first time and so every night every day throughout the day from 11 in the morning to 6 pm we had performances music bands would be playing throughout the day we had around 60 artists um we had a film room where uh films by filmmakers would be playing throughout the day i mean what was nice was that we got a bunch of different mediums in one place but then the second time we were like how do we do this and also bring in zines and also bring in murals and also bring in graphic designers and illustrators and you know i think because we're so psychotic we just thought we could do it i mean and we did do it but there were just so many things that went wrong so many things you know what though i really admire the fact that you guys were just trying to grow your expanse of your artist network like right you're you're doing something really special for these lesser known artists that can and this is why I love the idea of the anti art fair is that you're bringing in this this community of voices that would not otherwise have a chance and by 
the nature of expanding, you're able to include more people, which is exciting. But I can't imagine how hard that is with two people and no budget. I'm actually curious to hear how that community is now. Are you in touch with some of the artists that you exhibited the first art fair? Or how, how has it changed, do you think? You know, honestly, in the last like six years, um, like remember when I said that I didn't know anybody in the art world and my closest friends were just not artists. In the last six years, I know so many artists in India, like so many that we work together, we drink together, we we like, you know, go running together. We do like, it's we've sort of like made this sort of community, but also because, because of all these different smaller things that happened like six years ago and five years ago, a lot of different people kind of got the confidence to do it themselves. Because they, for example, I'm not a curator. I have no idea how it works. I never studied it. And then I just was like, fuck it. I'm going to do it. I want to show my work. How else would I do it? You know, and a bunch of different people have started doing that. They have their living room space in their house. They clean it out completely. And there are so many shows that happen in people's like little spaces and it's so interesting because it, the um, the art community has grown quite a bit because of that. And also because the art market and the sort of what you said, the primary market. But, and when I say that, I mean the curators and gallerists also realized that they were um, they were being seen as sort of this old world system and this exclusive system. And so they've also started bringing in lots of newer, more contemporary artists into their space, which is fantastic. And another interesting but kind of strange thing is that, like, for example, even the art fair, because they knew after the first two years that not that we were competition because we were still so small. Maybe we could at some point become competition because a lot of the big magazines like um, like. I mean, I don't know if you have them there, like Verve and Platform and Cosmopolitan stuff that are specifically the art issues. They would ask me, for example, and the curator of the art fair to pick our own artists and talk about it. So we were always in the same articles written about. And so obviously they started realizing that we're doing something wrong. You know, we have to change our ways a little bit. So um, there, so I think this was, so the last art fair that happened, uh, they had a bunch more, firstly, contemporary artists. They had a lot more performances and they never have performances otherwise, except in the opening night, which is exclusive for people who have like those, like the VIP passes, right? And um, and they also had, this is a little strange, of course, but they had this huge, huge, of course, they have massive, massive budgets, right? So they take over like a space that's double the size of a football field because that's how big the art fair is here, like everywhere else again in the world. But they had one of these huge, massive tents that was called the reading room, which they basically sold, where they sold zines and things like that. Bizarrely enough, the year before, which was our second edition, we decided to start a reading room. We started, decided to start a zine space where oh, we had artists from around the world selling their zines and we called it the reading room. And then the year later, there was a reading room in at the art fair so it was interesting i mean obviously we can't do anything about it because we are not contenders you know at the end of the day we are young and small and broke but it was like an odd odd thing to notice and do in general i thought it's exciting because it kind of seems like not only are you influencing the art fair itself whether intentionally or unintentionally but also like this whole community of artists that you're growing you're like it's it's so much better to me. It's nice to be paid for your work, but 
it's so much more long-term, I think, to build community than it is to build like personal monetary value. I mean, that's so much more broad in terms of what it can give. And that's really, that's pretty incredible. I completely agree. Because I mean, I think now what we're doing is we're trying to sort of take it slow after the, the second fair when we had like a three location, five parties, lots of murals around Delhi. It was a little crazy and we spent too much money and my partner sold his car for it. It was just a bit much. We lost a bunch of money, but it was so good because we had so many artists. We had 1500 artists, which is so big, you know, but uh, which is why we are now doing the irregular times for a while, especially because of COVID. That has to be addressed somewhere. (laughs) I know we're all really sick of talking about it, but, you know, we talked a little bit about it in my blog project with the initial interview about your, this is a good transition into your personal work. I'd love for you to first talk a little bit about how you define your personal work since we haven't really gone there yet for our listeners. Um, It still feels a little weird to say listeners um, because this is the first episode, which is really exciting. Um, But I'd love for you to first talk a little bit about the themes in your work and also what you're working on. um, And then how that kind of morphed and um, maybe was positive for you in terms of being more isolated this year? Um, Okay, so my work. um, So basically, oh my god, I'm so bad at talking about my own work. Uh, So I'm an artist and a curator, but I specifically make when in my in my professional like fine art field, I make drawings and I make metal sculptures. Uh, and in my drawings, I usually uh, keep them in black and white. They're drawings on paper. And my sculptures, they're supposed to be, uh, I mean, they're meant to be shadow installations uh, and sort of like an extension of my drawings because my drawings, I mean, since I started like professionally drawing like five, six years ago, um, they are um, always discussing different versions of utopias or spaces Um, where things just work differently than, you know, um, our our space right now. So in my work, I explore themes of human intimacy and I try to sort of break the taboos of body consciousness and sexuality, especially coming from India where, you know, you you cannot, like when my boyfriend comes and stays with me, he stays in the room downstairs, things like that. You know, we don't talk about sex. We pretend like it never happens. We're just told use a tampon only after you get married. So that's just how it is over here. And so um, I, I've always just tried to sort of, and I've always been super open sexually. And even with my parents, they kind of like, I like they, I feel bad for them because I talk about it quite often. But I, in my work as well, I kind of take from my life and put it in my work. And I know that it's so important to talk about it because there's so many people who can't. Um, and specifically in the last two years um my work like revolves around the ideas of utopias and um i draw inspiration from folk tales uh the architecture of cities um lots of japanese folklore and um and just um spaces that i sort of occupy like a lot of my work now is yes of course focused on the body and on relationships between people, but also within these spaces now, especially in the last year since COVID, I have just drawn buildings and houses with people inside them. And there's just no outside world anymore. You know, That's really interesting. 
Exactly. So basically with my metal sculptures, because they're an extension of my drawings, I try to work around the idea of utopias there as well, because they all, they're always sort of hung like a foot or two feet in front of a wall. So there's like, it's always projecting a massive shadow. And again, this idea of utopias where there's one world and, and like an alternative world. So that's my work. I think you've described it. I have a very clear, I mean, I know what it looks like. So I'm a little, I have like a, a bit of a bias because I have been like watching it adapt for a few years now, but I am curious. I do want to address part of the reason why this podcast is being started, which is to talk about being an artist today, all of its trials and tribulations and, and somehow like keeping the confidence and the belief in yourself with all of that imposter syndrome, which you mentioned to stay afloat to keep your practice going, to not be driven by capitalism and money, even though that's very important to keep us going as artists. And that should be talked about as well in some other space. But, um, you know, how do you kind of keep your, keep up your inspiration, keep up the, like the productivity in yourself without beating yourself up when things aren't always productive all the time, because you're not a machine. You know, I mean, I still like completely beat myself up about it all the time, completely. I mean, I don't know anybody who doesn't because the problem, especially when you're an artist not working for a company or you're not an illustrator who has like timelines and deadlines and you're making your own deadlines. Firstly, I'm I'm not, I mean, I skip, I'm, I'm set myself, I set deadlines for myself every week and I always pass them by months. I mean, months, when I say months, I'm, I'm not even remotely exaggerating, always months. And it's it's so tough because there are times when I start this massive drawing, I get halfway in and I absolutely start to hate it. And then I need to take an entire week off art completely and just watch trashy reality TV on Netflix. You know, it's really tough to, to I mean, I, that's also the idea of like, I've never understood people who just wake up in the morning, get to their desk and create fantastic work all day. I'm just not that person. And it's so tough for me because there's so many people in the world, especially now with Instagram, because you have access to all these awfully productive people who I just, they're just posting fantastic work all day. And you just, I just don't know how to do it. I've never been that person. There are times when in a year I make like five fantastic things and the rest I hate so much I just hide under my bed so there's always one that idea of imposter syndrome there's always that feeling of sort of like when you're not productive what do you do and I think that's also the reason why I started curating and I started doing all these other things I started making metal sculptures I started doing all these other things because I knew that if I just focus on drawing I would go mad because I I hate my work so much a lot of the time especially when I look at it for too long and because of that I need to just do something else and I need to when I say do something else I'm only good at art you know what I'm saying so do something different from drawing and so I that's when I make metal sculptures I make zines I do different things and I know that it's important to take that break from your space because the second you take that break you come back a week later and you're like oh shit this is so good but you forget how talented you are when you're stressed and you're trying to like meet those deadlines that you've made for yourself. And there are days when you're like, did I even go to art school? I don't know how to draw. And that's okay to have those days. You know what I'm saying? It's like completely fine to like, um, just, I don't know, overthink everything. Cause I do that a lot, but 
as long as it doesn't take you to like a shitty dark hole and you just kind of get out of it and say okay instead of just focusing on this let's do something else you know and it's okay to not be productive sometimes right and the other thing the other thing to address that you just made me think of is that i think artists really cheat the world when we just focus on one space and one medium because all spaces need a creative eye right like need need creativity whether that's in business or in law or in politics or in like a straight up art space but every space needs us right it needs creatives and if we don't venture out into these other spaces when we need breaks from like this space we've been holding for a long time like it doesn't expand so this idea of like moving into the art fair this idea of challenging a space and then that space getting overwhelming but you've brought it far enough that like, even if you need to take a break from it, now other people, now a wave has been created and in that new space and other people are then carrying out that product productivity. That's the goal, right? To like move into these other spaces, experiment, and you can get tired, but you've still like completed that. Exactly. Like knowing that there are so many, I mean, you always know that you're the only person, you know, the only artist going through this because I feel like we all go through it at some point or the other, which is why it's so important to just like get it. I think it's funny though, with like Instagram, because you stop seeing it, you know, like you don't, if, if you're not actually having conversations like this, you only see the productive and really pretty organized, good work coming outside of things. Exactly. Exactly. And people are like, oh my God, Barney, you're so productive and you're doing so much. And they just don't know that for the last five days, I've been lying on my bed watching like Real Housewives. Exactly. (laughs) They don't know the reality of the situation because Instagram is a lie. It's such a lie. It's a total, I'm off it right now. I'm off it too. I mean, I check it on my computer, but it gives me so much anxiety that I don't have it anymore. Yeah, I'm the same way. I've already deleted it once and I'm getting ready to delete it twice, but I, I need it sometimes. So there's so many talented people out there. And that's also like this idea of being an artist and being a curator. And when you know that you're an artist and you just hate everyone else making fantastic work, but at the same time, because you're a curator, you're always looking for good work. And so this idea of like, have you ever heard of the jealous curator? No, no. So it's this, I mean, I don't know if it exists anymore, but it was like this woman who had this sort of, I mean, when we used to go to websites again, it was, maybe she's on Instagram now, no idea. It was this sort of blog where she would just post fantastic work, but also be like, I just don't understand how they do it and why they're doing it and how they make so much work. And I'm always like that, but I think that also kind of pushes me to find new artists, but it also in my art profession pushes me to work harder, of course, because there's just such good work out there, you know? But I think it's really important because I've, I've sort of gone from um, having that nine to five creative job to now um, having more autonomy and also moving away from that world and more into a fine art practice. There is something really beautiful in allowing yourself time for reflection and for um quiet moments when you're not producing because what what you exactly mentioned before when you get back to uh, a piece of uh, work that you were just working on you see other things in it instead of constantly just producing and producing and producing and I think there's almost a danger in always being so active and always and not only active in the sense of working but also active in the sense of 
looking for uh, work on platforms like Instagram. Even portraying that you're working so much, you know, like just sharing everything all the time and showing work in progress. It's okay to take a break for a while. Yeah. I remember I had to sort of get into that habit of not posting too much and reconnecting with when I truly like something, you know, like before I only, even though I didn't want to admit it to myself, I enjoyed um, a piece of work if it got a lot of likes, for instance. And then I had to unlearn that and be like, okay, I'm not going to post whatever I'm doing. I'm going to spend some time with it myself and then see what I think. Um, And after that, if I want to post it, I'll do it. If not, if not, but usually like I have a stack of work that I haven't shown and it's not that I don't like it. It's just like, it's for me right now. And it's, it's sort of this like sacredness that we've forgotten. Yeah. I think especially with the Instagram world where you're so used to uh, this constant feeling of like in, um, immediacy, you know, the second you post it, people are going to like it. And if you don't get enough likes in the first half an hour, it's probably shit work. And I think it's another thing that I learned ever since we've been locked down for the last, I think it's been like two years now. I can't even remember all the days are of one, but I've, I started this thing because there was there's this girl I know in, in, in India who runs this thing called Mindful and Body where it just makes you sort of be more mindful of what you're doing and be more present. And so throughout last year, she was doing this thing called Art as Play, which were these workshops that we were doing on Zoom where you were just making art for the sake of making art. And I can tell you, I haven't done that in 31 years because every single time I make work, I'm like, I'm making it so that I can post it on Instagram because Instagram is now your website, your portfolio, you know, and while you're making it, sometimes you're thinking, will they like it? What will I name it? And you're halfway through your work and you're thinking about Instagram. And it's so awful that this last year has kind of made me take a step back and realize it should be for you first. Then it should be for the outside world. Because if you're not making it for yourself, it's not going to be good, you know? Right. So that makes me want to ask, the inevitable question which is what are you working on right now that you that you feel is for you well one is I'm doing the irregular times which is India's first art and design newspaper so we're launching it next we're supposed to launch it this month but we're in lockdown and everything shut so we're launching it next month and it has a bunch of really fantastic artists it's extremely interactive it has like it's what's nice about it is that it's taking us back to the way newspapers used to be when we were younger, where, you know, we had like an agony aunt section where you would write in your questions about sex or relationships or whatever, and your agony aunt would respond. We have a classified section, which is just for the art world. If you're looking for a studio, if you're looking for this, that, you put in your classified section. We have, uh, a, like, do I see a dark coloring book? I can't remember but we have an adult coloring book. We have like in every section, we have um, a writing by a different chef from India and then a recipe. So you can sort of, you know, put the newspaper away and then take, bring it back whenever you want to cook this specific meal. So it's actually like a physical magazine. Yeah, it's not going to be digital because I'm so sick of having to do everything on Zoom or on Instagram. Or everything. And it's so nice to actually be able to hold a piece of art. Like, I mean, we only experience art either in galleries, which we can't do right now because of lockdown or through Instagram these days. You know what I'm saying? So it's so nice to actually be able to physically hold this paper and be able to like look at all this beautifully printed art. So there's going to be drawings, paintings. Can we order it? Yeah. 
So from the 18th onwards, you can order it. We we launch on the 18th, which is I think Tuesday. Oh, that's awesome! Do you want to tell our our um, listeners how to purchase it or find it? So you go on to www.theirregulartimes.com or you find us on Instagram and there's a link there. And then you literally just subscribe and pay. And for American stuff, it's probably not that much. I don't know what the conversion rate is, but it's probably $10. Um, I don't know. I f- I've totally forgotten like how much what is in dollars and if $10 is a lot anymore. But um, it's not, right? No. And I mean, of course, you do pay for shipping because... That's the only thing you have to really pay for. But it's beautiful and fantastic. And from the next issue, we'll also have a loose print that's going to be a screen print of an artwork that you can actually hang on your wall. But if you want, you can also cut out the artwork from the newspaper because we want people to actually interact with the paper. If you want to like, you know, play with it, cut it out, do things, you can. There's going to be a little section in there where we like we teach you how to make a zine. So you can cut that out and actually fold it and make a zine. So there's a lot of really interesting things happening in it. And um, so that's what we're doing now. I'm literally, I haven't made art in two months. And I have just been doing this. And my team is three people and we're all in different parts of India. So we have only met on Zoom. And um, uh, yeah, it's actually extremely exciting. I'm super, super excited about it. That sounds amazing. I'm so excited. Yeah, exciting for you guys. We can probably have a link um, in the podcast description so people can find it there as well. Definitely. Because things are so awful in India right now because of COVID, like so, 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 so awful that we also don't want to be like sharing things on our Instagram about like, you know, amplify how fantastic we're doing when people are dying every day. So we are sort of waiting it out. Smart, smart, tactful. So because we're running out of time, Sophia, I don't know if you have any other questions, but I'm thinking as the last question, um, I feel like this is a very tropey, kind of annoying (laughs) question to end with, but I also love this question in every interview, which is, you know, as a person who's been out of school for a few years, who knows it's hard to make money, who knows it's hard to find the inspiration, who knows it's hard to keep going, but still inevitably does it and you're doing amazing work. Um, whether you have imposter syndrome or not, because like you said, we all do. It never gets old to hear compliments. So here's another one to you. Um, Very excited to keep following your work and see what you do. But as as advice to other young creatives who want to keep pushing their work out of school, we know it's a hard world. What would you tell them as some words of encouragement to keep going? I mean, more than anything else, I feel like don't compare your work to others. You know, you can learn from others' works, but don't compare the amount you create or what you create to what other people are doing because it's going to be the end of you. Just make art for yourself. Take breaks if you want to because the most important thing ever is to take a step back from your art. But mostly, more than anything else, like especially because, like you said, Jenny, we never stop having imposter syndrome. And especially when you're an artist working for yourself, in a sense, you it kind of takes over you. And um, you need to just learn how to step back. There's nothing wrong with not creating every day. Don't let Instagram take over your life. Because it's good to just sort of, you need to learn how to sort of be present with your artwork, which is sometimes hard because you're constantly thinking about how people will perceive it. Make it yourself. That's great advice. I think that's a great, a great wrap up to our first episode. Thank you so much, Tarini. Thank you for being on and sharing all the knowledge that you've collected throughout 
your years and telling us about the amazing art fair that you're um, co that you've co-founded. Super excited to have met you. Thank you for coming on. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode of Ongoingness, a podcast that explores the underbelly of process and work. Enjoyed what you heard? Stand by for next week's episode. Want to check us out on social media? Find us on Instagram at ongoingnesspod. The music for this episode was produced by Erica Enriquez, recorded at Short Stack, New York. We'll see you next time.